Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Thank you for joining me again this week as we dive into yet another amazing expert here with us, Angela Hosking. I am beyond excited to have her with us on the show today as we talk about coding the future around leadership. We are going to dig into her story, to listening to the importance of understanding your role as a leader, how she has been a leader in the healthcare industry and is taking that leadership into her own business as well. She is going to provide some amazing tips and information and action items for you as a leader or in your own business or as a leader within a business that you work. Let me give you a little bit about who Angela is. Angela Hosking is the founder of Her One Tribe. She believes women can create a personal and professional life they dream of with a good sense of personal development, tenacity, and staying out of their own way. Yeah, I hear that. My, her mission is to inspire, educate, and motivate women as they lead with confidence. As a leader, speaker, writer, and coach, she has over a decade of mistakes, insights, lessons, and experiences to share with you from the front lines of leadership. You can learn more about her, and she's going to say more about it on her website at herontribe.com. But let me just welcome Angela to the show. Thank you so much for being here with me. I can't wait to dig into this conversation because I have learned so much from your book, Women on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss. And... I can't wait to hear more that you have to share with the audience. Welcome. Well, thank you, Sharon. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So let's uh, just start with, can you give us a little bit of history about your story? What is, so healthcare is where you are, and I know you have a background in nursing, but can you give the listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, what, what's your story? Sure, sure. Well, actually, it's kind of funny because um, my story ends up being a full 360. If you go back, my first degree was in English. I wanted to be a writer. Um, And I had no idea what I was going to write about or what I was going to do. And like many other liberal arts students, I found myself with a degree and um, not really sure what step to take next. Um, And actually, I was a second career nurse. So I had started a family. Um, My first child uh, began an interest in me in understanding a little bit more about biology and and health. And I began reading everything. And before I knew it, I was the neighborhood mom that every other mom came to with health questions. And it was my husband who said, you know, have you ever considered going back into to school, into healthcare to be a nurse. Um, and I took him up on that. So the nursing part was definitely um, something that evolved through life experience. And after I became a nurse, um, I started working in an oncology unit and working with patients, which I absolutely loved. And never saw myself being a leader. I always just wanted to take care of my patients, but slowly learned that by being a leader and growing into leadership roles, I could have more of an impact on more patients and the people around me. So it just kind of grew and developed over time. Well, I really like that because sometimes we can go into a career thinking this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. And we end up finding over time as we mature and we go through different 
uh, decades of our life or different times in our lives that our interests change. And how rewarding for you and, and to be able to find the career in nursing, but also to still have your love of, of English because no matter what field we're in, we, we know we need to be able to communicate well. And that's something that you talk a lot about in terms of your role and working into your role in leadership. So as you were in the oncology and you're in nursing and you begin to develop your career in, in, in the field of healthcare, how did you begin to step into leadership? What was that journey like? I have to laugh because I think I was dragged kicking and screaming. Um, I had a mentor. <laughs> Sometimes we all are. <laughs> I had a mentor that kept tapping me on the shoulder um, to say, you know, this is really where I see you going. You, you have the ability and you're comfortable communicating with others. You have a passion for vision. You have a passion to, um, I really am, I, t I tell people I'm a glasses three quarters full type of person. Um, you know, there's nothing that we can't do when we put our minds together. And so she was really instrumental in guiding me along the path, um, first through the educational piece, because I, I did need to go back to school and, um, you know, get a master's degree. I actually got two master's degrees, um, one in business and one in, in nursing leadership. Um, but she was really instrumental in sort of pointing the way for me and seeing things that maybe I didn't see in myself. Um, and I think that's one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, women helping other women. To, to grow themselves. I think often enough we um, maybe are, are fed the line that there's just few limited um, opportunities for women in leadership and, you know, we just need to look out for ourselves. But the truth of the matter is that we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us and we need to turn around and, and lift those up who come behind. And that's what she did for me. That resonates a lot with me because that mentorship is so important for us as women in the field. And I, I say this a lot because my area of expertise is technology and working with women and bringing them forth in data analytics and design and application software and having somebody who is your champion to help you see something that you probably didn't see yourself is um, very integral. I also have a, a story similar to yours in that um, I, the better part of my career I spent um, in K-12 education uh, teaching computer science. And I remember there we had a administrator that was over our academy. I worked in an information technology academy uh, here in the Charlotte area. And that administrator, you that particular role, you would become the administrator over the academy. And the the woman that was in the place um, during this time was temporarily there. And she came to me and encouraged that I apply for the role as the uh, academy coordinator for, for our academy. And I just, I had never really thought of myself in that position. I was like, no, I'm, I'm a classroom teacher. That's, that's, that's where I'm going to, you know, I love what I do. I love all the things with the kids. And but she really pushed me and it, that was really a pivotal moment for me in my career in beginning to take that step into a leadership position and understand that I could take all of my skills and still help the kids, but then also help my teammates at the same time. 
Yeah, and I think oftentimes, at least for me, you know, the idea of what leadership is, I think, you know, back in the day, I was like, okay, that's the boss who tells everybody, you know, what to do and, and sort of make sure everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. But really, what I really didn't understand at that time is that leadership is really cultivating, growing and developing people. It's managing people. And that was the part of it that um, I, I truly loved. Um, I think intrinsically, I've always been sort of a I want to be. I want to be a helper to all. You know, that's what probably drew me into healthcare to begin with. So, so that part of leadership was definitely a surprise um, for me. And that value of growing and helping other people to find, um, you know, their own intrinsic success was. It, it just makes you feel wonderful when somebody gets the aha and um, pivots and does something mm-hmm. because of your influence. I call it the light bulb moment. Yeah, when you see like that, that it just clicks. And I used to see that a lot with young people um, as a teacher, but then to see that with adults is actually maybe it's, it's equally as exciting to watch them change their mindset just a little bit of something that they didn't think they could do. Absolutely. I, I wanted to share a little bit. I, I had mentioned to Angela before we started, uh, started the show that I read her book from front to back because I myself am, have, have been an educator for a long time and then have moved my, uh, changed my role, as we mentioned before, over the different decades, different things come along. And I am now running my own businesses. And as I'm doing that, I am finding myself, as you mentioned, really managing people and moving into that uh, visionary and CEO hat for, you know, thinking about it in, in, in those terms, to move our, my, the mission that I ultimately had from the very beginning, which is to empower women and girls in computer science for my nonprofit organization, and then for the, the business side to empower teachers to really embrace technology and love computer science and, and see themselves as leaders in technology within their classroom. And I loved your humility in the book. And the stories that you told. And can you tell us a little bit, how did this book come to be? And why did you think now is the time to, to write this and to share? I am a reader. I am a reader and I'm somebody who loves to learn new things. And when I first um, took my first leadership position, I found myself in a place um, that was new and uncomfortable. And so I was looking for resources. And I don't know if you've looked at the latest um, bookshelves out there on leadership, (laughs) but Mm. the majority of books are written by men with a male perspective and a male point of view. And as a new leader, I think, um, and as a, uh, you know, I'm 53, so in the generation of born in the late 60s, um, I was sort of fed the line for a long period of time that in order to be successful as a leader, I needed to be like a man. I needed to lead like a man, act like a man. And that is not what I think ultimately made me incredibly successful as a leader. I think it is the inherent attributes that I bring to the table with a different perspective, a diverse perspective as a woman. And so I, I tell everybody, I wrote the book that I wanted to read. I wanted to find um, a true, honest um, 
tell-all of what does it really feel like to suddenly be bestowed the title of leader and have people that may or may not be happy about that you're leading them. Um, and also, you know, how to, how to cultivate and develop those natural skill sets and talents that, um, you know, whether it's societally or genetically that we bring to the table that's different. Um, and so I wanted to honor that. And being a um, healthcare worker and a nurse, I always look for the science. So I really did some exploratory investigation about really what does the literature and the science say about the differences that we bring that, again, are either societal or genetic um, that should be celebrated and should be honored and uh, revered. Well, you know, you tell a story that I think this also, to not repeat this word again, but it did resonate with me because I've had similar situations occur um, as a teacher. But um, one of the stories, and I won't reveal it, well, we can tell as much as you like, but the story, the, the arc of the story is that you walked in one morning and you had uh, booked people in beds um, and then you didn't have enough beds for the clientele that was coming into your unit. And the, the piece that was so fantastic for me is that because I can envision you standing there, you said had a little bit of sweat that started to trickle down the back of your neck. You thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have created this problem and the, my staff is looking to me for the leadership and then how am I going to solve this problem? And I thought to myself, my goodness, that's happened to me in many different, I don't, in different occasions where I have thought this was going to work or I may have overbooked with kids being in one place or I may have put myself in two different situations and that, oh my gosh, this is never going to work out. But I thought the way in which you solved the problem was exactly how it should be done. And I don't know how much you want to share. I do want people to go sure. read your book. But, but, but of course, which would you like to share how you worked through that? Well, I think I learned pretty quickly on that, you know, just because you have the title of leader doesn't mean you know everything. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to make decisions. And sometimes you're going to make decisions, um, you know, without having every piece of information or having experienced it before. And then you find yourself sort of standing in the swamp of that decision. And I made a promise to my team early on that I was not going to put on airs. When I screwed up, they were going to know I screwed up and I was going to say I screwed up and then I was going to um, dig in and and fix that screw up. And so what I really did was um, just honestly told them what I had done, how I had made the mistake, and then dug in to help them fix the problem because ultimately that problem was going to trickle down to their work day. Um, and, And what it also taught me was, you've got to know your, your resources. You have to know who the people are that you work with that are, um, you know, across the line that you can lean on and, and, and work together to help solve the problem. And I had not bothered to build relationships um, yet at that point with other nurse managers. And so I, I quickly learned the only way I was going to get out of this was to ask for some help, some guidance, and then put the, the hustle and the sweat behind it. I was moving those patients right alongside my staff. Um, and And, you know, I think one of the things that maybe stunts new leaders is, you know, we don't want to make the wrong decision, especially women. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, uh, high achieving women are perfectionists and we worry we're going to make the wrong decision. So we just don't even make a decision or we ask 900 people what they think before we make the decision. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, coming into your own as a leader, you're going to have to start trusting that gut instinct of when you think, um, you know, this is, I've got enough information to solve it and or start moving toward it. But then when I do realize, 
you know, it wasn't the right decision. How do I, how do I engage the team and how, how do I have them help uh, us all get, you know, work through it together? But yeah, that was a, that was a hard morning. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and the thing that I thought was also so humbling about, as you said, you know, now you mentioned this a couple of times in your, in your book, and, I, and this is something that um, I think needs to be repeated over and over again because of my work with girls and, and young children as well. But the failure part taught you a lesson and you, you knew you'd made the mistake and you also knew that you would make that same mistake again because now you saw, you know, before you did, sometimes you don't see the forest for the trees, right? You're thinking, oh, we'll do this, 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 and this. And then when it begins to happen, you're like, oh, that, that, nope, that didn't work out. <laughs> that didn't work out at all. But I like that you said you wouldn't make that same mistake again, but it also taught you a lot about how the humility piece of asking other leaders for help and showing your vulnerability and then for your team to see you step up to the plate. Yeah, I think, and so um, as I've been on this journey with educating myself, um, you know, not only on women's leadership, but understanding a lot of the societal constructs and ideas that we have um, as women, and again, I'm generalizing, but many of us um, who did very well in school, who, um, Mm -hmm. you know, always were searching for that 100, why did I get the 98, um, did not find the value at that time of failing. And right. failure was seen as something that was terrible and don't talk about it. And if you did, you wouldn't want anyone to know. Um, but I learned over time that by being very transparent and sharing my lessons learned that it was allowing my team to feel a little more comfortable taking ownership and take decisions where they you know, might not be successful, but that they would learn something and that they would build confidence. Um, And, you know, I think the other piece of why I created Her One Tribe was I really wanted to share what I'd learned as a woman leader, but there were so many women that were not even willing to step into the shoes of leadership because they lacked the confidence. And so bridging together the understanding of, of learning how to fail and fail well, or fail forward. I, you know, I've heard mm-hmm. lots of people say, um, and how I did it, and share my story because then they will see that they don't have to be perfect to to you know try something new and, and lead. Yes, I agree with that. The, the sharing of the stories, and and as females, we we like to share, and we have an in an in, inner ability to want to. Um, care and connect with others. And again, that's maybe a bit of a generalization, but I find that as a female, my inter self is always looking for that connection and listening to stories and knowing that someone else has walked in those shoes or has, has had this happen to them. It, it, it does build a sense of community and knowing that you're not alone on the island. Well, and you, you can't be what you, you can't see. And so if all you see is the Instagram perfect, mm-hmm. resume perfect, um, you know, story of how, you know, I picked myself up and, and developed this great career, not me personally, but any woman, you think that you can't do it because you, you're not seeing the messy parts and you're not seeing the parts to, that didn't go as planned. And you're not seeing the parts that maybe they failed miserably, but then led to a whole nother avenue um, of something that they would have never discovered. And I, I've, I, you know, that's the intention of that book was just to be as honest as I possibly could. And of course, you know, I changed a few things that would give away people's um, sure. personal identities, but my right. team that worked with me, they laughed. They're like, yeah, this is totally you. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. That's exactly the way it should be. You mentioned a little bit earlier about some of your education um, that you had a 
English degree and then went back to get your nursing degree and then two masters. Talk to me a little bit about that journey of education and finding, using that education to help drive your career. Um, Why two masters? What drove you to continue and learn different, um, and I'm, I'm my and now my guess is, and before you tell us, is that there's two different avenues of that business and the technical side that you studied in earning your master's. Well, I will tell you, I'm thoroughly glad that I did the two master's. And at the time, um, the reason it was different than I now know it to be today. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about that because I think there's a lot of women out here who do and have done what I did, which was think I need, in order for me to be able to sit at the table, I need 87 letters behind my name, right? I need need to make sure that I am as educated about uh, these things as I could possibly be. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but in healthcare, it's not just managing people. It's also managing very large budgets and very large amounts of resources. And so I, um, like many um, people who start out clinically, I really felt like I wanted to understand the business side. So I got an MBA Mm -hmm. and I say that like it was really easy, but it wasn't. It was very hard. <laughs> well, yes, I can imagine. <laughs> um, but it it taught me it taught me two things. Number one, you know, my math teacher in seventh grade that basically like hung his head and said, "Oh, girlfriend, you're going to have a hard time." I showed him that I actually could could do this. Um, and the other piece of it is that I I felt like in order for me to um, be a a contender or a competitor for a higher level position, I really had to have. Uh, both degrees, both masters. And what I now know, what I would now tell people is really question that because I think women oftentimes before they'll take a risky um, promotion or they'll try to uh, go, go after that next promotion, they're going to sit there and, and come up with every reason why they need more education first. And that's a confidence problem. That is 100% a confidence problem. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I have two national certifications, two master's degrees and two bachelor's degrees. That's a little ridiculous. <laughs> well, I listen, I'm on your train too. I have a, an undergraduate, a master's and a doctorate and, some, <laughs> and, and oh, and then three different certifications for administrative and K-12 education. Completely understand where you're coming from. <laughs> but we, I think both of us are proud. The other thing is I think we both like academics. So yes, that's a pause. I mean, and if you like academics, then you should go for it. I, I, I am, I'm a, I'm a school nerd. That's, I, I love to learn in that, in that capacity, but and we'll, we'll dig in a little bit more about some other options, but um, I like, keep going with your story. <laughs> well, and I, and, and I think too, you know, um, there's so many, there's so many ways to learn nowadays, right? There's so many avenues yes. to educate yourself and whether or not you take a test or um, complete the credit requirement, you, you can, you know, with the, with the entrepreneurship, this has been a whole nother master's degree. Right. And understanding how to run a business. Um, you know, I, the MBA gives you a lot of background information, but not the blood, sweat and tears of, of, of figuring out how to actually do it. So I think there is, there is um, definitely an opportunity for, for different ways of doing that. I wouldn't trade it. And I tell people it, it was my insurance plan. And if I was going to go for one, you know, doing two and three full, I did them over three full-time years um, was financially better way to do it you know, rather than doing them one and then the other. Um, and I really enjoyed the, the business school aspect of case studies and learning how, other entrepreneurs and businesses had started. And, and that aspect of leadership is very, can be very different from a corporate 
background of leadership. And so I really enjoyed sort of, um, and also mingling and mixing with people from all different types of backgrounds. So not just healthcare, they were you know, bankers and they were right. um, people that were entrepreneurs. And I think that in and of itself was a, an exceptional education. Right. And I think that also plays into the other pieces that I think um, for you and, and for me as well, my undergraduate was communications. And really, I thought that I was going to be a do something in radio, which is a full, you talked about being a 360. I mean, that having this opportunity on this radio show with Voice America is really a dream come true for me because radio has always been something that's been very exciting. And then my, my journey took a little bit of a turn. And when that happened, for me, furthering my education and learning more about technology and how to integrate things with data and analysis was really pervy and prevalent for what I needed to do, um, which I think with you would be the same aspect of, of having your English degree, taking on nursing, and then finding yourself moving into the leadership and understanding that there is a whole business side to the healthcare industry, which I think not all of us really completely understand. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, it, you talk about it, those pieces that we, we thought we wanted to do this and we thought we wanted to do that. But I bet if I asked you what your values are uh, and, and what core things you love to do, it's very similar. So, so mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be a writer because I knew I, I loved stories and I wanted to share stories. I just didn't know what I wanted to write about and I had to mm-hmm. live some life experience. And I'm telling you, it's so funny, the book, when I started thinking about it, you know, it evolved. I really started blogging. That's how this all started. Oh, okay. yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't know what a blog was, but I knew that um, I was seeing enough women in my industry that were not um, confident enough. And I was trying to understand where does that come from? And so I thought I would, I would write about it, you know, and you think when you start a blog, <laughs> you write the first blog post and you put it out into the world and you're like, oh, everyone's going to read it. And no one no. reads it, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, but what it did for me was it was like a, another, another level of education and understanding and seeking to understand, because if I couldn't engage and get women to, to take the risks and step into the shoes, then I needed to understand what was it and myself included, that was keeping us from, from doing those things. It was a really, it's a two-year journey, and I learned so much from that. And, and um, that is really what started my passion for, for really wanting to help educate other women to understand what are these common thought processes that we have? What are these common sociological, um, you know, things that we are grown, have grown up with? And I really saw it in my daughters. I have two adult daughters. Mm-hmm. And I had really thought, you know, the women's movement and, and feminism and um, equal opportunity had, you know, in my lifetime um, opened up, but really we were still, there were still a lot of opportunities holding us back. And many of those were our own self-identities and our own self-confidence. And so I really wanted to be that, that change. Um, and I thought, well, if not me, then who? So time to go, you know, time to, to, to dig in. Um, I love all of that. And you can see that it resonates in your writing and in your book. And I told you when I was researching um, a little bit for, for guests to have on the show, and I read about you, I was immediately excited because everything you said was so true to how many of us have experienced the world and moving into a leadership position, et cetera. And I want to dig in a little bit more into the business that you've started and talk a little bit about some of the traits that you see that, and, and 
pieces of advice and some action items that you can give women as they start into their journey um, or continuing their journey or to step up and use their voice uh, when we come back. So when we come back, there's going to be more with Angela. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We will be right back in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy, Visit the .consulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back and uh, welcome back to Angela and thank you all for staying tuned, tuned in with us here with Coding the Future. Again, we are chatting with Angela Hosking and she is a a force in the women's leadership movement, has written a book, has been in uh, a leadership role in the healthcare industry for um, a few years, we'll say that, we'll just say a few years since those of us that are going up the, the ladder in age, we... We are seasoned in what we do, and we've been having a really fantastic conversation around women moving into leadership positions, the understanding of confidence, what Angela's role has been or her journey has been in moving into this, but I want to talk a little bit about your side hustle that you have now launched and is going into year number two. Can you tell us a bit about how that came to be and um, what you're doing now with that side hustle? I absolutely became an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I had started a blog uh, 2015 um, dedicated to women in leadership. And, um, you know, being someone who is in the, the tech industry, you will know something that I did not know back then, which is SEO is everything. Mm-hmm. And so um, when, and I named the, when I named the blog. Let me just blog, note that that's search engine optimization, <laughs> SEO. And that what means, that means optimizing that means. anywhere on the web. 
<laughs> I was going to say what that means is you have to choose your words very carefully when you're when you're titling something. And I was all about being creative and coming up with something, you know, very a pun on words, which is a, such a no-no. So I wanted to write this blog called uh, Leadership Elevate Her, which I was making a play on elevator, like you ride the elevator to success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, nobody got it. Nobody <laughs> got it. Nobody Googles Leadership Elevate Her. Um, but, you know, what I really at that point in time was doing was just a passion project. Again, sharing lessons learned, what I realized was the impetus for sort of the, um, you know, the stories that I tell in the book, I started telling in the blog. And um, some of the, one of the stories that I wrote definitely went a little bit viral. And I had shared a personal story of being um, around a table with 10 other women. We were doing a big construction project to build another big building um, with the company that I worked for. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever been at a table like that where every position at the table was a woman. We had the architect that was a woman. We had the IS person that was a woman, leadership that was a woman, um, you know, supply and materials management. And it was, it was pretty phenomenal. We all just kind of sat there looking at, at everyone at the table and in walked a, a gentleman who was um, a physician and was there to give us his input for a particular area. And he paused and looked at the table, turned around, walked right back out and walked back in and you could see the look of confusion. And he said, oh, well, I'm wow. here for the construction meeting. And, you know, his, his, his concept of what a construction meeting should look like was definitely not 10 women at a table. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lead architect, the woman said, well, you're in the right place. Come on in. It's a new day that we have a new look here. You know, and we all kind of giggled and laughed. But when I wrote about um, I, that was called Sisterhood of the Traveling Work Pants was the name of that article. It resonated with a lot of other women out there because even though we are pulling up a chair to sit at the table, um, there are many places where it's still you know, looked at as it looks strange or it looks different because it's different from the norm. And so that blog uh, post went a little bit viral, got picked up from some other um, Huffington Post and another area, and I suddenly had a following. And mm -hmm. when I recognized that I had people who were reaching out to me and they wanted to learn more and they were asking me to do more blog posts on, you know, imposter syndrome and confidence building, I felt like I had a purpose. I felt like I had a vision of something that I could contribute back to the world. And mm -hmm. I'd been doing this for probably 18 months. I started doing some workshops. I started doing um, uh, some speaking engagements for free, all of it for free. Sure. And I think I had a very good friend that kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, why are you not monetizing this? Like you are got tons of experience and tons of education and you're really making a big difference and you're, you're giving this away for free. And I was falling into the trap that we women do that, mm -hmm. you know, oh, who would want to pay me for something, you know, that I am putting out into the world. Um, and so I... I walked the walk and talked the talk and took my own advice and incorporated and um, started an actual business and lo and behold, people paid me. <laughs> I mean, I, who would, I, I hear everything you're saying because that's very similar to the journey that I have taken and very similar to the journey that I hear from many of my fellow women entrepreneurs that it we never would think, oh, this could be a business. This is something that could really change my my life, my family's life, and empower others. So to take that step is, 
I, I, again, someone else believed in you that you didn't, you, we didn't, you didn't see yourself. Yeah. And I think too, um, you know, I was so passionate about wanting to make sure that everyone got the information and I still do a ton of free content. I mean, mm -hmm. I do a weekly email, um, every week. I, um, do plenty of free speaking engagements. I do webinars and things for companies that cannot, you know, nonprofits that do not have a fund for someone. Absolutely. So I do a lot of pro bono, right. um, pro bono work too. But I also think that it's important, especially, um, you know, if you look at who, who is purchasing things in society, it's mostly women. And yep. we make the buying decisions oftentimes for, for our families and for ourselves. And I know that when something is of value, I want to spend money on it and I want to understand, um, you know, the, the deeper level of it. And so I'm doing a disservice if I'm not, um, you know, fostering that community and that economy within women business owners. You know, it's, it's it, again, it be the change you wish to see. And so if we want to, to have equal par in, in um, the economy and, and helping to stimulate the economy, then we have to, we have to charge money for our expertise and we have to charge money for our services uh, that we provide. The world doesn't work when everything's free. No, it doesn't. And the truth is that we have something to offer and your experience in, in the, in your career is valuable and it's, and it's valuable to not just the people in the healthcare, but to women in general want seeking to move, to move up the ranks. I put that in quotation marks. Uh, you know, it's to, to move into a position where you can really let your voice be heard. I'm curious to know, as you have been in managerial and uh, directorship positions and, and now um, in executive leadership, can you talk about some of the most common tasks that you do in your role? So, I mean, that, that could be, is there something that has transcended over the different roles that you have done? And uh, in, in the same essence of, of the title of the show of, of coding the future and providing opportunities to uh, lay the groundwork or help guide others as they're moving forward. Are there some common tasks that you have done that you see um, as a young person they can begin to, to work on and cultivate their expertise in? Absolutely, absolutely. And whether you're an entrepreneur or you're someone that is working in a business, I think the number one thing um, to do is to build relationships. Mm. And what I mean about building relationships and building your network, I didn't understand the value of that as a new leader. Um, but that building relationships means that you have the respect to seek to understand everyone's role in either the business or that is someone that's working with you as an entrepreneur and understand their contributions to the work and how you can help each other move the work forward. And so it's not just a, hey, I know who Lisa is, but hey, I know who Lisa is and this is the most important thing and piece of the work that she contributes. And if ever I see an opportunity where I can be of assistance to Lisa, I'm going to reach out and offer that. Um, I think too often we only focus and get very siloed in the work that we're doing and not seeking to understand how others partner within that. So I would say number one is build those relationships, seek to understand what other people do, how it is that you can assist and help them, because someday there's also going to be an opportunity where you will need to reach out for their assistance to help uh, you get your work done as well. 
Um, I think network. And when I say network, it's not the passing of the business card. It is truly cultivating and building a team of women that um, you are trying to assist in any way possible. So, so for instance, Sharon, um, now that I know about your, your radio show and what it is that you're doing to help educate um, girls and women, the minute that I come across a person that I know is also interested in that or may have some information for your radio show I think your guests would like, I'm going to connect the two of you. Right. I'm going to say, you, Sharon, here's someone you really need to talk to. And, you know, if it's Melissa, Melissa, this is someone that you really need to talk to. And I'm going to f- foster that um, relationship and help you meet each other. Um, so I think, you know, being a giver in a network is super mm-hmm. important and understanding what it is that people need. The other piece of it is, um, you talk about tasks. So I am um, a coach. I am a coach every day in my job. I'm a coach independently in my business. So I'm often listening for where those gaps and those barriers are Mm -hmm. and listening to the language that people use um, when they're talking about their frustrations and when they feel stuck. Um, Sometimes it's just simple as um, what I call Socratic questioning or Socratic you know, asking of questions, tell me more about that, help me to, to understand, you know, what it is that you need. Um, but I, being an active listener is very different than being in a conversation and waiting for my turn to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, fine tuning that listening skill, and you can start that today, just being very intentional about the next person that you listen to, seeking for clarity and understanding their point of view. Um, oh, well, one like of the tasks, seeking for clarity. That's yeah. really good. So, we are we are too great in filling in the blanks as human beings, we right? Are. We, we judge others, um, you know, based on their behavior, and we judge ourselves on our intentions. And so, um, I call it humble inquiry. So, if I don't get invited to a meeting that I thought I should have get, gotten invited to, I don't immediately assume that someone left me off on purpose. I think, well, you know, they probably just forgot to put my name on that. Or I'll reach out with an email. Hey, I noticed I wasn't on the invite or someone asked if I was invited. I was wondering if you thought, um, you know, that I could bring something to the conversation rather than making that assumption. Oh, wow. They left me off. Um, But that takes some time to cultivate. It does. But that's really good advice. Really good advice because we're so quick, especially even in now that we're so quick to make that decision. But it could be. I mean, it really could be. But I... And I love what you said about, I might be able to bring something to the conversation. Right. Coming at it from a place of um, humility and giving the person the benefit of the doubt, giving the person some grace Um, because every, every one of us makes mistakes. Absolutely. I also, I'm a big planner. I'm huge on um, having your goals for yourself per quarter, per month. And I'm a person who schedules everything into my calendar. So yep. um, I do a big brain dump, you know, on a Sunday night. And that's just letting every, putting everything um, out of my head that I need to get done during the week. And I sit there and triage based on what really what's important and urgent and what is just something I want to do. Um, but I also plan for playtime and I plan for rest time. And that's the number one thing when I have a coaching student that the first thing we do is we unpack their calendar and we look at the way that they're working because generally what they try to do is do something, you know, stuff that's enough for three weeks. They try to shove into one week. Oh, yeah. And they, and they don't build any time for reflection or, you know, toasty energy or self-care. And then they wonder why they can't get anything done and why they just like, 
ditch it and just go veg on the couch and watch Netflix for six hours. <laughs> um, guilty. Guilty as charged. Yes, exactly. When you, I'm, like, I, I'm nodding my head and I'm sure there's other people doing the same thing. I am the worst about trying to fill in white space or when I have a moment in between or I don't have anything. I have, you know, like I will shove it in. I, I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I'm recovering. I'm doing better with that now that we have been out for a little bit with the COVID situation. But um, I like what you said in terms of really honoring that time. Well, I'm going to give you a little trick too and trick okay. for the listeners. So there's three ki- kinds of energy that we have. We have emotional energy, we have intellectual energy, and we have physical energy. And so if you look at your day and you think about what type of energy you're going to be expounding during the things that you've scheduled and when you've scheduled them, you, you, when you've tapped out of that type of energy, you still have reserves in the other type of energy. For example, hmm. um, if you have a, a meeting that is uh, very intellectually stimulating and, and problem solving for an hour, you're not going to want to schedule another intellectually stimulating thing right after that. You're going to want to schedule something where either you have some time to do some, use some emotional energy, which is reflecting on, you know, um, the way that you're feeling about things, some journaling or, um, you know, reading some things about journaling and, or you're going to want to do something physical. You're going to want to go take a walk or you're going to want to take a run or you're going to want to do something that moves your body. Hmm. And so if you think about um, planning your, your work, uh, day it, with breaks in between of different types of energy, you'll end up by the end of the day not feeling like absolutely drained and zapped. And so just be cognizant of of your own energy flows. I know for me personally, intellectually is the morning for me. I'm going to do the creative strategy work in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the creative coaching work in the morning. I'm going to do the, the uh, problem solving work in the morning. In the afternoons, it's more tasky things. It's finishing replying to emails. It's, um, you know, doing the XYZ, um, that action item that I had to do that is really, it doesn't take a lot of brain power. It's just me initiating that. So understanding where your energy levels are and that you have those three different types. Oh, that's really good. And that, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm writing this down as, as Angela's talking, I'm like, mm, I need to remember that because that is, you're exactly right. And I've been, I've been thinking about that more in particular since we are now in the season of COVID and the Zoom call has become very much a part of our everyday activities, which we are on right now and recording. Um, and that actually takes more energy than I had really intended. So I've had to be more thoughtful about winter meetings. And I am exactly like you. The morning time is when I'm most creative. Uh, that's something that I, I think is really important uh, for uh, all women and men to think about when are they most productive in terms of getting creative pieces done and then be very um, preserve that time for when you really need to have a big meeting or you really need to sit down and do a lot of deep thinking or creating or content development or whatever it might be. For me, it's the morning, but some people are late at night. I mean, I can't stay up much past nine o'clock and then I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Myself as well. Yeah. Okay, so we have building relationships, network, coach, planner. Is there another one? Is there one last one? Um, I think definitely have uh, a self-care routine. So whether that's a morning routine or an evening routine, and I, you know, I'm not talking about like you know doing your nails or um, you know taking the bubble bath, although that could be yours. Um, but for me, it's it's journaling in the morning. I I start my morning every morning with journaling. Um, I, you know, it, 
I look for the in the last 24 hours what I've been grateful for. Sometimes when people start a gratitude practice, they just write the same thing down every single day and it's not, it's not terribly meaningful. So I try to find the good in the last 24 hours, um, which can be pretty hard right now with, with COVID. Um, but our, our brains are trained to look for the negative and it's trained to look for the gaps. So by adopting a practice where you're looking for what went well yesterday, you know, and it might just be that I had some time to walk the dog and, and be in nature and, um, you know, turn my phone off, or it might be that I had a great conversation with my daughter, but it's just helping me to reflect on, um, you know, even, even though there might be some hard and trying times, I did have some goodness to the day. So that is definitely a practice that I have, um, I've been doing that for years. And then in the evening, I turn off my phone um, the last hour and a half, and that's time with my husband. So whether we're watching our favorite show or we're chatting about, we're building a home right now, we're chatting about that, um, it's intentional time to unplug from the busyness of you know, the creative mind, the mind that wants to get things done all the time. And I, I say that's when I'm a human being, not a human doing. Um, and so, you know, like just, to be, <laughs> just to be that time in the evening. So whatever that looks like for you, um, but, but having a way to start your day, having a way to end your day, that is um, more about you as the person and, and filling that bucket um, for yourself. It's, it's wonderful advice because if we're not feeling our best selves, then it's hard to lead others. And, you know, I have, I have always been a human doer instead of sometimes a human being. Um, I, it's just in my DNA. I'm very, uh, I'm a doer. I'm a worker. And to stop and to really let myself recharge sometimes is really hard for me. And to step back and say, no, I've got other people that can help me do that or I just need to stop so that I can recharge so that I can actually be my creative self again because I'm running myself into the ground. And that can come with anything, learning a new skill with, with uh, you know, answering emails or, you know, coordinating an event or whatever it might be. So I think that's, that's excellent advice, whatever self-care looks like. We know, and there's been a lot of talk about it uh, for sure over the last um few years, but I've been doing this also to practice what I preach, which is also like that you said that earlier with my, with the teachers that I work with in the schools, I have been first talking about, we have to take care of ourselves first before we can serve the children and digging and making sure we give ourselves enough time to step away and not always be thinking about what's the next lesson going to be. Because sometimes it comes to us when we're not thinking about it, when we're actually being like you mentioned. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think, you know, for any of us that, that can slip into that workaholic tendency, myself included, um, that's often an escape. That is often a way to deal with anxiety and um, stress is by working because we don't have mm -hmm. to sit with those feelings. And so, you know, it, it, I, I learned a long time ago that that was my sort of my default was, well, as long as I'm doing something, I'm doing something. Um, but giving yourself time to process um, and, and feel those feelings and, uh, you know, ponder your thinking, yes. then 100%, that's when the creativity comes. I will wake up the next morning. I'll have thought, I don't have any idea what I'm going to talk about this week in my email. And, uh, you know, I'll give myself some reflection time and I'll wake up in the morning. Boom, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. So right. giving yourself that respite. And, and, and to recharge all those cells that have been learning and growing and changing throughout the day. 
we could sit here and talk all day for sure, but I want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to share a little bit about your work with One Her Tribe and um, about how our listeners can find out more information from you. And then I'd like for you to, if you could offer three pieces of advice for young women who are taking these steps into leadership or learning a new school, a new skill, what would that, let's start there. What would be, I mean, we, we've talked about the tasks about building relationships, networking, listening, listening is so important. Um, planning your day and thinking about your three areas of um, energy and where they come from and self care. Any other pieces of advice that you would give young people in terms of uh, places to go to look for leadership learning um, courses or any particular networking groups or websites that you would recommend um, for people to, to turn to as they're uh, growing? Sure, sure. Well, I think you could start uh, certainly with any any women's uh, mentorship mentorship network. Um, I know there's a lot of them out there. There's some that are paid. There's some that are free. But looking within your community to see, um, just you, you know, looking up uh, Google Meets or looking up to see where are the other like-minded women meeting and building building that core group of people that you know. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, for me, I, the biggest piece of advice I can give is that, you know, you don't build confidence by thinking your way there. You have to have action. So if you're going to grow your confidence, you're going to have to do things out of your comfort zone. Um, and I um, began a practice uh, a little over two years ago of scheduling what I call insanely brave moments into my day. And that means the thing that's kind of 50% excites me and kind of the 50% st- uh, scares me, um, I'm putting it on my calendar. So that might be s- something as simple as, you know, um, taking a CrossFit class online, or that might be, I'm going to reach out and email that person whose book that I read and let them know I really appreciated it. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I've, I've been really wanting to start a podcast. This is mine, right? So I've been really wanting to start a podcast. Okay, that means that I put on the calendar that I'm going to research what I need to learn, and I'm going to buy myself a mic, which I'm using today. So, so putting those insanely brave moments into your calendar every single day will build your confidence. Um, I also think that it's important for you to know your values um, and your beliefs. And if you haven't taken some time to sit down and figure out what that means, your core values are what make you, you. And whenever there's conflict in your life, it's because you're in, you're conflicting against values. So, um, mm-hmm. Spending some time, you know, understanding if it's integrity, if it's learning, if it's, um, you know, education and figuring out what those are and then making sure that you're putting things into practice in your life that are helping you to live your values. For me, it is most certainly sharing and spreading um, the message of, of her one tribe. And lastly, I would say don't be so concerned that you have this you know, future mapped out for yourself that I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And by this age, I'm going to do that because life is really about um, opportunities that you didn't even know are out there and you won't find them unless you are open to trying new experiences, meeting new people and, uh, you know, going with that person who says, hey, come with me to this meeting to learn more about this. So um, it will all work itself out. You will be a you will be an author at age 51 instead of 25. uh, But it will still feel just as good. Oh my gosh, I love that. Everything you just said, because as we think about coding our future and understanding what is coming at us, one thing we know for sure, the only thing that's consistent is change. And if we put one foot forth, uh, foot in front of the other and take it one step at a time, 
do something outside our comfort zone, set some goals for ourselves, understand who we are at the core, we can do anything. And we can be great leaders and great uh, colleagues and grow both individually and professionally if we truly accept who we are. And I think that's really amazing advice. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. Can you tell everyone how they can get in touch with you um, and if they would like to reach out to learn more about your business and uh, reach you on social media? Of course, of course. Well, uh, my book, Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss, is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, both an ebook and a paperback. Um, I'm also very active on Instagram at her one tribe. And then you can reach out to me at my website. It's heronetribe.com and find out a little bit more about um, the workshops, the Empower You that I do, also the um, keynotes and the speaking engagements, as well as um, the one-to-one coaching. So if, uh, you know, some of these things resonated with you. Happy to chat with you to, to learn a little bit more. And I encourage all of you that are listening to reach out because her information is so valuable. She's down to earth. She is telling you from her own experience, and that is unbelievable. Thank you so much, Angela. And if you would like to learn more about my work that I do with working with educators and with empowering young women in computer science, you can find out more about what I do at the .consulting.co. Again, Angela, thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing everybody on the next episode of Coding the Future. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.